Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Planning for Retirement podcast. My name is Kevin Lau, and I am your host. Just a quick background on me. I'm a CFP, been in the business for almost 14 years, and I have my own firm serving clients all over the U.S. Uh, We're based here in St. Augustine, Florida. My firm is Imagine Financial Security, but this podcast is to educate you on the strategies we put in place every day to help our clients plan for retirement and achieve financial independence. If you have any questions about working with me one-on-one or even had feedback on our podcast, I always love to hear from you. And you can visit my website at imaginefinancialsecurity.com and contact me that way. Also, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you hear. This episode on January 24th, 2022 is episode number eight. It is called What to Do When Markets Are Volatile. Before we jump in, just a quick disclaimer, this should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice, and you should consider your own unique circumstances and consult your advisors before making any changes. So let's dive in. All right. So as I mentioned, it is Monday, January 24th. It's the evening. Uh, My three boys are now sleeping, so I have some quiet time to record this episode, which I've been looking forward to. We've been in some uh, some bouts of volatility over the last four to five months, really starting with the Delta variant in the third quarter. The markets got a little bit spooked. And then, uh, of course, with the recent variant, Omicron, in the fourth quarter of 2021. And we're officially in correction territory with the NASDAQ. Intraday today was down 17% from its previous high. The S&P 500 was minus 10%. And some change from its previous high. So um, we're definitely in correction territory with both of those. And, and the small caps in the U.S. are actually in bear market territory. So bear market, uh, just to define this, is a drop of 20% or more from previous market highs. So many times I have clients or prospects, they come to me and ask, what should they do? What should their strategy be? So, you know, really to simplify things, there are three things you can do. You can sell something, you can buy something, or you can do nothing. And I hear many talking heads in our industry, even advisors, um, coworkers, friends, family, I hear a lot of people talk about number three, which is do nothing, you know, sort of bury your head in the sand, you know, kind of just, you know, let the dust settle and just sort of, you know, um, look at the, you know, just don't look at your statements and, and then, you know, wait a year. <laughs> And, you know, this is great for people who don't know what to do, uh, because making a mistake is, is um, you know, you certainly want to avoid selling something at the wrong time and making that big mistake. So doing nothing is certainly better than making a big mistake. But the real answer, the one the pros practice and the one my firm employs is to do a little bit of both. You sell some things and you buy others. Now, what to sell and what to buy is much more of a complex question. And I'll go into what our process looks like in just a moment. Uh, but first of, first off, I just want to talk about what's going on in the markets now. Um, you know, we've had record high inflation. We've had for, for many, many months, really since June, we have had interest rates spike at the beginning of the year so far in 2021. Um, you know, and so the concern there is, Large purchases like homes and cars are becoming less affordable. Um, it also impacts the ability for businesses to borrow money, uh, which has been a very easy thing to do for for businesses for many many years. Really since really since two thousand and ten, 
Um, so that's going to become a little bit more difficult, a little bit more expensive, which will impact growth. And then ultimately, number three, which is really related to the first two, is this concern of slowing growth in 2022 and 2023. You know, really with the reopenings um, from the global shutdown in 2020, towards the end of 2020 and 2021, we've been experience, experiencing a rapid expansion because we were experiencing the reopening from the lockdowns. And so naturally, the, uh, the pace of... Uh, growth is going to slow. And so investors are certainly concerned with that and ultimately concerned with stock prices not being um, aligned with the, um, uh, you know, with, with their valuations. And so, so those three things are really contributing to the stock markets being volatile. And, you know, what I will say is, you know, vo volatile markets are normal. They're healthy. If stocks had no volatility, they would not provide the upside potential they have provided for decades. We've all heard the notion of risk and reward. Well, if there's no risk involved, there's no reward involved. So, um, you know, I tell my clients and friends and family and people I talk to is embrace the volatility. Um, you know, th this is this is an opportunistic period of time in the markets. And we'll talk about here in just a second. So what do I mean by opportunistic? Um, let me throw out a quick statistic that really jumped out to me. This was done by Hartford Funds, I believe, and I've been looking at the study year after year. I think they, I think they update this almost every year. But um, so we talked about bear markets being minus twenty percent drop. A bull market, conversely, is a twenty percent increase in prices from previous lows. So listen to this: more than half, or fifty-six percent, of the S and P five hundred's best performing days in the last 20 years have occurred while we are in a bear market. Again, we're not in a bear market for the S&P or NASDAQ yet, but I'm just talking about volatile markets in general. When things are bad, we tend to have some of the best performing days in the market. So why, and, and actually here's another one, the follow up on that. Another 32% of the best days in the market took place in the first two months of a bull market. So if you really add those two up, which probably isn't fair to do, but it, it, let's say 88% or north of 80% of the best days in the S&P 500 over the last 20 years have occurred while we were in a bear market, okay? Now, you know, you could argue, you know, well, you know, a large part of that was 2008, 2009 with the worst recession since the Great Depression, and we were in a really deep recession, a deep bear market. So of course, there were a lot of good trading days during that period of time, but you know, you really look at 2020 uh, as another example. That was the other bear market we've had over the last 15 or so years. There was some great opportunity in March, April, May, June, July of 2020, where if you didn't take advantage of it, you, it hurt your recovery. Uh, if you sat it out, you, there's no way you would have made back what you lost at the beginning of 2020. But the important note is that when things are bad, people tend to run. People tend to get scared. And that's when opportunity arises. Okay, valuations become more attractive. Stock prices are lower than they were previously. And so investors that have been sitting on the sideline, opportunistic investors, are now buying in, now getting into the market. It's like the, the quote I love from Warren Buffett is, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. I love that quote. And I think it really applies to the process I uh, employ for my clients. 
Another inter interesting statistic I want to throw out there is that bear markets last 10 months on average, but bull markets last three years. So this really kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of the advice people give around, you know, just kind of wait it out, you know, don't make any moves, you know, just sort of, you know, buy and hold, don't, don't you know, make any rash decisions. Um, because, you know, in, on average, bull markets tend to last a lot longer than bear markets. So if you did nothing, you probably did just fine, you know, over the course of a long period of time. Okay. But how do we become opportunistic? How do we really take action during periods of, of volatility, which is, this is really what the answer uh, that people are looking for when they come to me during these, these periods. Okay. And what my clients are looking for in an advisor during volatile markets. So the, an the answer is simple. We manage to each investment policy statement. Okay. Let me repeat that. We manage to each individual investment policy statement. So what's an investment policy statement? A simple way, a simple definition is it's a written document that designates a certain percentage to be allocated for each asset class. Okay. And so, so how do you create an investment policy statement? So the equation in my mind is very simple. It's your financial goals combined with your risk tolerance or risk capacity minus your financial resources equals your investment policy statement. Some examples of asset classes would be, let's say, large cap U.S. growth stocks or international stocks or U.S. bonds or real estate, just to name a few. So a, a well-designed investment policy statement will have asset classes that move in different directions during different periods of each economic cycle, meaning they're well diversified from one another. So as the market shifts, the percentage you own in each designated asset class is, you then have the opportunity to sell at a premium or buy at a discount relative to your IPS or your investment policy statement, okay? If you have no starting point, it's never going to make sense mathematically of when to buy and when to sell. Whereas if you have an investment policy statement and you have a certain percentage that's supposed to be allocated towards international stocks and a certain percentage that's supposed to be allocated to U.S. growth stocks, okay, and that percentage has shifted based on fundamentals of the economy and stock prices, et cetera, et cetera, that's going to give you the answer of what do you buy and what do you sell? Let me give you a quick example. Let's look at the recent bear market we had, okay? Uh, again, I'm not predicting we're going to enter a bear market right now. I'm just talking about bear markets because typically people start to pay attention when their account's dropping by 20%. Um, you know, even, even now people are starting to look as it's, you know, headlines are being made because the NASDAQ was down intraday today of over 4%. So people are like, oh, well, is, you know, should I be doing something? The last bear market we had was February, March of 2020. Okay, this was the beginning of the pandemic sell-off. Uh, it was short-lived. In really, in August, we had recovered all of the losses from the bear market, and, and stocks have been on a rally ever since. But stocks dropped 35% in a six-week period. Bonds, on the other hand, were up close to seven percent during that same time horizon. Okay, so why is this? I mean, interest rates were low relatively speaking, okay? So how could they return 7% in a two-month period? Well, it's because when people are selling out of stocks because they're they're fearful or they're concerned about what's going on in the economy, they have to buy something. I mean, you know, yes, you could go to cash, 
But a lot of these individuals, a lot of these investors are going to flight to safety. So U.S. treasuries, um, municipal bonds, corporate bonds, they're, they're flighting to safety. So bonds spiked because of prices going up. People wanted safe investments paying a coupon rate of, you know, one and a half or two and a half percent just because they were concerned with stock prices dropping 35 percent over a six week period. OK, let's say for simplicity purposes, OK, we had an investment policy statement, you know, based on your financial goals, based on your risk tolerance, based on your time horizon, based on your financial resources. We said, hey, you know what, let's let's use half of your portfolio to be in the stock market obviously diversified within stocks, you know, U.S. stocks, international stocks, large stocks, small stocks, mid-sized stocks. And the other 50% would be in fixed income, also diversified, U.S. bonds, international bonds, high quality investment grade, um, you know, versus junk bonds, high yield, et cetera, et cetera. So in the first few months of 2020, stocks were down 35% and bonds were up 7%. So as it relates to your investment policy statement, okay, we are now underexposed in stocks and overexposed to bonds simply by the drastic difference in performance during that time. So instead of reacting to headlines, which is very tough to do, I promise you, okay, you, you wouldn't believe the phone calls I was receiving from clients during 2020 at the height of COVID when stocks in a single day were going down 11 to 12 and 13%. Okay. Um, the, the calls that we were fielding were, were concerning. Okay. But um, we had to stay disciplined. Okay. And if we're now underweight in stocks, okay, underweight in stocks and overweight in bonds, Mathematically speaking, as it relates to your investment policy statement and that 50-50 designation we had to each asset class, by simple way of math, we have to then trim off some of the gains from bonds, so sell at a premium, and purchase stocks at hopefully discounted prices. Now, hindsight's 2020, we know how that worked out. But but in in practice, this is this is literally the the discipline that goes into this. Okay. So we're not reacting to headlines. We're not trying to time the market. Okay. We're simply, we're simply looking at a financial goal, a time horizon and, and an investment policy statement related to a certain account. And we're going to buy some things and we're going to sell others. Now within stocks, we're going to have different percentages allocated to different segments of the market. Okay. Within bonds, same thing. Okay. So I'm just using a very high level, simple example of half in stocks and half in bonds. So, so once we made that move, I know hindsight's 2020, but stocks went on a tear for the next four months. So because we had repositioned and loaded up in stocks during the bottom March, April of 2020, and we had that recovery over the next four months, we recovered much faster than if we had did nothing. Okay. So the same thing held true in 2021. So fast forward. Okay. So we're kind of looking at it and saying, Hey, you know, we had a, a, a massive run in 2020 and even into 2021. So that same 50, 50 portfolio, we're now overweight in stocks and we're underweight in bonds. So, as painful as this might be, especially when we're going through a significant bull market, 
We need to, by discipline, trim off some of the gains from stocks, not bail out of stocks, but trim off some of the gains to get it back to that targeted 50% that we want to have in the portfolio and purchase fixed income, albeit it's not going to generate a ton of interest given interest rates are super low, but it's there for that stability. So we're not overweight when stocks take the next, the next tumble, which we talked about happens every four years on average for a bear market. So now that we're going into this bout of volatility, third quarter of 2021, fourth quarter of 2021, first quarter of 2022, if we had followed this discipline, followed this process, we're not going to be experiencing as much of a dip as we had if we had did not if we had done nothing. Okay. So this also is beautiful because it works well when you're retired and you're actually drawing income from the portfolio. So my clients that are let's say let's say a client needs $5,000 a month from their portfolio, well we need to raise cash somewhere by liquidating a certain asset class. Well every single month when we go into the portfolio, we look at the investment policy statement and figure out what we're under what we're overweighted. And that drives our decisions on what we're liquidating to generate income from the portfolio. So again, it works in the accumulation phase. It works in the income distribution phase. And for those of you that are younger listening to this, and let's say you don't even have fixed income in the portfolio, well, you might have cash. You might have cash that you've been waiting to invest that you haven't put to work yet. Well, this is dry powder. That's It's, it's an opportunistic time to deploy that cash strategically to buy up equities at potentially discounted prices. And especially if your time horizon is 10 or 15, 20 years, you don't need to even time it perfectly. And you shouldn't even try to time it perfectly. Because conceivably, if capital markets continue at the tra tra trajectory they have been going over the next over the last 100 years plus, you're going to be much better off than just leaving that money in cash. I promise you that, especially with inflation. So even those of you that are long ways away from retirement, there are strategies you can deploy Instead of selling off fixed income, if you're closer to retirement, it's a perfect time to look at what are you overweight in? What are you underweight in? What does your investment policy statement look like? What should it look like? Should it be updated based on your time horizon, based on your financial goals and circumstances changing? For those of you in retirement, don't panic. Hopefully you have a process in place where a certain dollar amount uh, for income each year is going to be generated from asset classes that are immune to stocks. Okay. So uh, in summary, if you don't know what to do, don't make a knee-jerk reaction. But at the same time, don't just sit idle and do nothing. Okay, create an investment policy statement for each account Okay, that you have. Follow the investment policy statement. Implement it with a discipline process. Don't act on emotion. Okay, if you want to consult with an advisor, consult with a fiduciary. Go to napfa.org. Go to fee-only network. Go to XY Planning. Uh, if you want to consult with me one-on-one, -on -one, I'm happy to talk. You can go to my website at imaginefinancialsecurity.com. But I hope you find this helpful and can apply during periods of volatility moving forward. Be smart. Review your situation. Um, make sure you're taking the appropriate steps for your own strategy and your own unique circumstances. Okay. Uh, again, hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to subscribe. Leave a, a review on iTunes, like I mentioned, if you liked what you heard. And I really appreciate all of you and appreciate you tuning in to today's episode. Until next time, have a great one.